0: Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard. From the flight deck, this is Paul Pometrius, and this is Alex Hunter. We'll be we the pilots for this podcast about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern bird travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and 30 minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, we interview Dan Hamilton, our traffic controller at San Francisco Airport. We discuss the German wing crash and its consequences from cockpit safety to the realities of the airline industry. However, up solving your lost luggage headaches, a fully remote control airport tower, and we name Google Flights the App of the Week. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the passenger bell sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling
0: headphones. This is flight 009 to Phoenix. Hi, guys. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Actually, morning for us, afternoon for you. Yeah, exactly. For us.
2: Wow, it's the first time we actually have a guest. We have a guest. <laughs> it's an experiment. But uh, we're very excited to have uh, my good friend, Dan Hamilton, who also just happens to be an air traffic controller at San Francisco Airport. So, welcome, Dan. Thank you. It's nice.
3: Yeah, and for those who don't
0: know, for those who don't know, actually, Alex is currently in San Francisco, which is also why—I mean, not in San Francisco, the city, but nearby—which is also why we didn't record last week. We want to apologize because we we got a few feedback from people saying, "Where is the last episode?" And so, sorry. <laughs> which to- means
2: people are listening, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, Dan, do you want to quickly introduce yourself so people know who you are? Well, my
3: name is Dan Hamilton, and uh, I've been at San Fran Tower for, this is going on four years. I was at a small airport prior to this in uh, the Bay Area, Palo Alto. That's where I kind of got my start with uh, air traffic. And before that, I had uh, 12 years of private and corporate aircraft management experience. I'm 35 years old, and I've
0: known Alex a while now. Yeah. So here we are. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> thank you. That's awesome. And thank you so much for being the guinea pig and not being <laughs> our <honest. a> <laughs> first ever guest. So that uh, so that the, the audience knows, we'll have two types of guests. Uh, not according to their profession, but there will be guests we will only interview during a segment. It will have guests like Dan today. Will be participating the whole during the whole conversation, and he can intervene at whatever time he wants. He can interrupt us. That's the whole point. So, and I'm 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 sure that with your background, you'll have a lot to say about uh, the different news we're going to cover today. First one, not the most uh, happy one, I'm just going to read a quote here. Everything points, at, uh, points to this act that we are unable to qualify, criminal, mad, suicidal. How, uh, how can one imagine that a pilot in whom one has full confidence, they are heroes for many people, who hasn't thought of being a pilot? pilot could precipitate a plane into the mountain after closing the door to stop the other pilot from entering the cabin. This was uh, French Price Min- Prime Minister Manuel Valls. So we're talking about the German Wings uh, flight that crashed into a mountain on uh, March 24th. That's almost a week ago. Well, not the most uh, best pieces news to start with, but, well, everybody's been commenting on that one. Uh, first thoughts, guys? It's crazy.
2: I mean, when this first happened, Paul and I had a conversation that was... You know when this type of thing usually happens you're you think you kind of go into analysis mode and like what do you think happened and i immediately sent paul a message saying there was a an emergency in on the flight deck small big we don't know they lost kind of situational awareness and it was controlled flight into terrain it happens way too often it's occam's razor this is what happened there is no way where i would have sent paul a message saying oh the guy just flew the plane into the mountain on purpose that yeah. that possibility was so far from anybody's imagination that when when it finally emerged and it quickly emerged that this happened i think everybody's reaction was the same How I mean, how's yeah. it been in the aviation community
3: um I, you know i think everybody's shocked it's it's it really is unfortunate yeah. i mean you never want to hear about accidents like that happening you know yeah and uh it's it's a tough situation i know we're going to go deeper into this but um you know you talk about mental stability and all those other factors that are involved in this yeah it's it's a shame yeah it really
0: is yeah so the, the news the news obviously like uh, you just mentioned alex went very fast uh we live in an age of uh the impossibility of information containment it seems by the way yeah. that the new york times and some special source because the new york times keeps breaking stories along with the build which is one of the major newspapers in germany uh, which of course so the flight was for German wings, so that's a subsidiary of Lufthansa. So here we'll be talking a lot about Lufthansa but so that people know that they are both uh, of the same uh, parent company. Uh, only yesterday the, the build re- actually released the transcript of what was said uh, during the last minutes of the flight. So the, the flight the voice recorder was uh, found. Uh, very quickly. Uh, the French prosecutor said that it must have been a voluntary act. Uh, he had to say that because the New York Times has bro- had broken the story the day before, and now we have a f- fuller picture. We haven't heard the sound itself yet, but it's uh, it's pretty damning. It's really actually very scary. You you have uh, that one sentence, "mach der auf," which means uh, "open the goddamn door," and that's. Uh, Patrick Sonheimer, which is the pilot of the the aircraft, who was out of the cabin of the cockpit, sorry, the flight deck, going for a loop break, uh, trying to get back and wasn't allowed to. And well, it all points out we haven't found nobody has found the uh, the other data recorder yet. But it all points out for the moment, even though the investigation is still going, that well, uh, the guy just crashed the plane voluntarily. So that's a bit uh that's a bit scary obviously I don't uh, the, the the CEO of Lufthansa uh, actually said himself that he wasn't sure that this would qualify as suicide because when you have 150 people on board can you really qualify that as suicide I mean nobody has the right word is it you know mass murder you know or terrorism I mean there's no it, I don't even I'm not even sure there's a point of Actually, going into that, uh, sem- into the semantics. It's not the first time, uh, by the way, guys. That That's the had... worst
2: part, isn't it? It's n- this isn't the first time that, that basically the exact same thing has happened.
0: Yeah, it, does, it hasn't happened because let's put that very clear from the beginning because I know uh, the debate is very highly emotional, but it's uh, it's not the first time. It's not as if it happens like every day either. <laughs> uh, there's been a few stories. There's been, for instance, in uh, 2013, there was a lump flight. Uh, which was uh, flying from uh, Maputo to Luanda in, in Namibia, though. Uh, and apparently, the pilot crashed the plane to the ground. There was a famous story with Egypt Air Flight 990. It was, it was off in, the Eastern in
2: the, Seaboard, wasn't it? I believe it yeah.
0: was. Yeah. Although, in that case, uh, let's be fair, the, the actual end report was inconclusive because uh, the NTSB said it was voluntary, the Egyptians. Never accepted that it was, so uh, the case has always been out. There's been a few other stories. I mean, maybe like 10 or a dozen uh, tops documented stories of people actually flying a plane to the ground. Here, well, it doesn't seem to be actual terrorism. Again, I'm not sure about the semantics, but we're having a clear problem. What, are the first, so what happened then? The first thing that we, we saw was like the reaction from the airlines was to do something that the U.S. is already doing. Alex is actually having always two people on the flight deck, right?
2: Yeah, so this has always been the case. Well, not always, but it's been the case in the U.S. for for a long time. I was shocked how quickly the European airlines reacted and said, almost overnight, once it emerged that this was the case, that they were going to implement a uh, two person in the cockpit rule at all times. Because usually, these things take forever, and they say we're going to wait for the official findings to come out, and then we'll make we'll adjust our policy. It was instant. And I think there was there was one or two that, that were holdouts. British Airways said they don't comment on security policy until they were was it yesterday, they were basically their hand was forced to implement the security policy. Yeah, same but that's because that's the point. I else. mean it's
0: it's it's so emotional. That's coming back to what you said, it's so emotional that the airlines, uh, European airlines, that didn't have that policy implemented because I think a few had uh, Air, for instance, had it already, uh, following what the uh, US regulation is. But yeah, Air Lingus as well. Exactly. But besides that, the other, I think it was also like the first reaction is like, I even though we know it's not going to happen tomorrow again, uh, we you know you have to also comfort uh, passengers, and you know the stocks were tanking; they had to react very quickly, right? Yeah.
2: Actually, yeah, it was a smart thing. To do uh, on their part, uh, it'll be interesting to see how how they implement it. There's a there's a procedural and cost implication there, isn't there? Like you have to completely change your flight deck procedures for going in. Well, and Well,
3: not only that, and I will say this openly, I think that um, Lufthansa has done a tremendous job on being proactive about this whole thing. It seems certainly it, seems the, that way. From I'm not very well versed as far as foreign carrier rules and regulations versus U.S. carrier. I know there's a difference and um a lot of the rules that the US carriers have well, you know here what we call overseas carriers they don't have the the rules are different yeah and and i give them credit cuz they're jumping all over
2: it which I, is good it is good it is good they definitely have been as proactive as they can be um i was actually surprised to learn that the US had already had this in place i'm not sure how it works operationally it does does a does a do you know if a flight attendant has to go on or if they just they just don't leave the, the, it has to be somebody, I think it's a flight attendant or somebody, somebody but there's always two
3: people in that cockpit.
2: So that's the interesting thing, right? You know, it's, it's great to say we're going to have two people on, on the flight deck at all times, but there's a, there's a procedural change there. If you're going to have, you know, a member of the, the, uh, the cabin crew take the place of the, whichever flight deck crew member is leaving, then you have to train them on what to do in situations like that. Uh, if you're going to have a a
0: third crew member on longer flights there's a cost implication there so oh, yes what what you just mentioned is interesting because there have been obviously from some pilots a call for to go back to three 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 pilots in the in the flight deck i don't see that happening to be honest with you uh but there, there have been some calls about that as well Co- coming back to your to to the two-person rule uh for the moment it's uh it's a decision by the airlines. Uh, the yes. uh there's an agency in europe uh, which now forgot the European Union Aviation Safety Agency. It doesn't have a power of, of regulating. It only, only has a power of, of uh, recommendation. It has recommended, I think it also was in the last two days, uh, following the crash to actually have a two-person rule. It adds that one of the two has to be a pilot, obviously. Uh, and, but, oh, well, yeah, it seems like... One hot <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and it urges the uh, the EU to put that into law. But it's interesting because the all these the the rule basically draws back to. I mean, the here the we can hear that. I mean, we haven't heard, but we can read the transcript. The whole the whole uh, problem, and we'll come to the pilot itself later. The whole technical issue was that the door was closed. So do you want to go a little bit into that? And because both these all these rules basically have a root in nine eleven. Right, we wanted to protect the cockpit from intrusion. Thus, probably in the US, they decided to always have two people. I don't have the exact origins of the rule. I haven't had time to look it up, and maybe for next week. But the door itself is is something that is new in the industry. Do you want to a little bit explain it a little bit?
2: Yeah, the armored cockpit doors was was absolutely born out of nine eleven, and I've heard a lot of analysis saying that um, analysis slash opinion that it is one of the major contributors to Uh, an increase, if you want to call it that, in aviation safety saying, of all the things that we've implemented, this is probably the most effective thing. But it's proven in this instance to be a slightly double-edged sword because you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And what was so interesting is right after this, and I don't know if it was the manufacturer of the door or locking system, but somebody put on YouTube a video describing exact, it was almost like a sales video, describing exactly, exactly how this door mechanism worked which and it obviously wasn't a security issue because it's it's not saying and to hack it, press this, 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 and this, it was just explaining how it worked. And I think yeah, it, it was, like, it looked like a corporate video. Exactly. Yeah. It was yeah. like a sale. This, you know, it was like, you know, a, a product video for, for a startup. It was explaining the features and why they were good and the scenarios in which it could be used. But I think it was enlightening for a lot of people because it explained the dead man switch uh, where if the, the call into the to the cockpit from the cabin was was not responded to. Then a member, somebody in the cabin, could type in a code. There was a thirty second window where if the pilots did not want somebody to enter, they could override it. If that thirty second window elapsed, the door would be unlocked. Um, the assumption there being that if the thirty seconds elapsed, then the crew, both crew members, were incapacitated, and it would warrant access to the flight deck, which, when you put it on paper like that, makes total sense. Because you, if you had introduced the, the armored cockpit doors and said, we're closing the doors, nobody from the outside can get in because we don't want terrorists to be able to get on there. That sounds great until you go, wait, what happens if something happens to the pilots? And so they introduced this kind of fail safe. And it turns out that this was the kind of Achilles heel, if you will, in this whole thing. The captain left to go to the restroom. Uh, he requested to come back in. Uh, the 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 co-pilot refused to unlock the door, so he typed in the code, and th- we learned that there is a mechanism on the flight deck to override that that code entry
0: system. And which again into- com- which again comes back to the terrorism uh, scenario is like the pilot is outside under duress to get back in. So the pilot can decide, uh, or the co-pilot in that case can decide, I will override that entry and I will actually maintain the door locked. Yes, uh, the system from that yeah. video says for Because five, they've got the camera, right? They've yeah. got the camera so they can see if the if the pilot
2: is under duress to come back a, in. A,
0: a camera or simply like, you know, like on a door. People, yeah. Eye. Yeah, exactly. But so it means that they, that override at five minutes was exactly what allowed the plane, because the plane was going uh, in a, a very steep descent, that old scenario, because we learned through the transcript that the whole thing basically happened in the last past, uh, the last 10 minutes of the flight by the time, you know, the, because that's, like you said, there's a lot of opinions online. But if you have, you have to figure out that the, the pilot goes out having, uh, having a pee or something, and it comes back in, it tries to come back in for a moment, there's no realization that the, the, the other person is actually trying to crash an aircraft, for a moment, thinking maybe if there's something wrong, so I'm just gonna knock once, twice. So that's a, a, a that's a few minutes that elapse. and then when he realizes what happens, because the override system is put in place, that's where apparently he tried to force the door. Obviously, this door is very hard to force. There's a crowbar are uh, in the, in the plane in the cabin in in case of fires. Probably that's what he used, but there's no way that in the last five minutes he would have been able to destroy that door. So, like you said, we arrive at the point of. Until we have that scenario, we don't realize what you know the, the Achilles heel of the system is.
2: Yeah. So well, and
0: the,
2: I mean, the circumstances which led to this are, are so, I mean, bizarre is the right word. And to, I think that it would be uh, dangerous to, <clears throat> excuse me, to suggest that we need to revisit this whole cockpit lock thing just because of this incident. What well, you know, it is tragic. It is. Um, kind of devastating, but they've done their job since nine eleven in many regards. To and I think you know the, there's a lot of knee, <clears throat> excuse me knee jerk reaction to to do away with these locks or completely redo them or allow them to be controlled from the ground or anything like that. Which is, you know, Paul, you and I, you and I had an off the cuff conversation about this this morning. It's it's very easy to try and force a technology solution onto. A problem that really might not exist. Um, yeah, or
0: it is. Yeah, because in that case, at the end of the day, we can go there, and we'll come back to technology. It's true that a lot of people think about what added piece of technology can I put to make my life right. Safer. We love to we love to solve human factors problems with technology, yeah, right? But at the end it's of the like, day,
2: we'll build an app to fix it.
0: <laughs> but here, exactly. But here. Apparently there's been it was just a few hours ago that apparently the, the so the, the co-pilots that apparently crashed. I, I'm gonna still use the word apparently because for all internet purposes the investigation is still going. Uh we don't we won't have a fuller picture uh uh, uh uh until the end of that investigation. Of course, that allows a lot of people to go into conspiracy mode, but at the, at this at this moment in time we have learned that he might have had some uh, mental instabilities, and I'm going to use that word very carefully because not neither of us three here is a psychiatrist, but mental instabilities during his, his training. Uh, then he got cleared. Uh, then apparently he was followed up for some vision problems that, that he was hiding from Lufthansa, or German wings in that case, uh, because he found some of the doctor's uh, notes in his uh, one of these apartments when he actually... Apparently hid this from his employer. We the the whole point here is at the end of the day, the guy had apparently some sort of issue, which is nothing to do with technology. We can you can add an, as many layers of technology in the plane; it will come to that in a minute. You cannot really control that. You cannot find is a, is, a, is 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 one case in a million, or even, even maybe more. So how can you? Do you think that Lufthansa should have had better and the industry as a whole should have have better, you know, maybe screening in terms of follow up of people having, you know, depression and not stigmatizing depression, because I just want to say that before you you answer depression or even suicide doesn't mean that you're going to kill 150 people along with you. I know. So, yeah.
2: It's a delicate, delicate subject, isn't it? I mean, it's. It's, it's very difficult, I think, very difficult to answer. But it's, it's it's been what the media has leapt on. I don't know if, if it's the same in the US, but certainly in the UK, everybody has leapt on the fact that he might have ha- maybe had depression once a long time ago. Well, and he very well could have. And he very well could have. He, I mean, well could have. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that that's why he he, he chose to do this. And I, Would screening have caught it and prevented this tragedy? <laughs> maybe who knows but you know as cynical and awful as it sounds we make you know we make leap forwards in making this already unbelievably safe industry safer by learning from these types of tragedy it'll be very interesting to see what we do learn from this and i think that in many regards the two person cockpit rule could rule this type of thing out in the future uh, is enhanced screening going to solve it? Maybe, but more importantly, it's going to help these people get what they they need yeah. to, to to feel better, you know. If if that is the issue, I I'm not convinced that that better screening or anything like that would have would have solved this or, or prevented this from happening.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you know, there's uh, I, ha- I was having a discussion with another friend of mine who is also uh, heavily into the online uh, industry. He said, at the end of the day. Especially nowadays, with a uh, huge pressure on costs, so thus huge pressure. You know, there's a huge pressure on the shoulders of pilots. Uh, they have to, in the US, for instance, you have to go into a massive amount of debt to get qualified to be a s- civil pilot, and then you earn like a pretty crappy salary. And... To 200, bucks from beginning to end. Yeah, and and you hmm. might have been by that time you're already like uh, at least 200k in debt. And right, that's so... what I mean.
2: You're you're 200k in debt, and you're flying
0: left seat. Six six flights a day for twenty five thousand dollars a year. Which you know, for me, which for me, the the, the 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 consequences here is not to blame. I don't know. Uh, we uh, have we don't have enough view of the entire industry, probably. But to say that, do do we really think that a pilot, if, even if he feels that he has a problem, will go in front of the, of a, a psychiatrist and, and not lie? Uh, and I'm not saying he's a bad person or she is a bad person, by lying, but that, at that moment in time, his whole life rest his, his ability to basically reimburse the debt he's put in to actually have uh, an <laughs> entire life point. of uh, he won't you know if you if i ask him if i'm a psychiatrist or whatever therapist or and i'm sorry for those who are in the medical uh, no, mds and everything because i'm not i'm not using the right word, words probably but i mean most more likely would not we won't catch catch him or her in that case him so that i agree with you there's it's a bit of a we are still in the emotional post crash state, and I yeah. think I agree with you the two person policy. The other thing I wanted to 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 mention though before we move on uh there's other people that are claiming that again technology solutions, so we should have like self piloting planes
3: whatever oh that's brilliant <laughs> yeah good luck with
2: that <laughs> Good luck with that it's It's amazing and it's infuriating as well it's such a knee jerk reaction to anything that happens like this we 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 react and go this is this is a tragedy that could have been so easily avoided if we had just implemented this impossibly expensive and totally impractical solution to solve a problem that doesn't really exist. Well the,
3: the thing too is I've been I've got I've I've worked in aviation I was telling Alex last night. I've worked in aviation for 19 years. My father was a corporate pilot. And I don't claim to be an expert. And I always say that when Alex and I talk, even privately. Hey, I'm not an expert here because I don't claim to be. But there, a- aviation as a whole, it's such a dynamic industry. And, you know, I, I, I watched a little bit of the news when I heard about the German wings crash. And I will say, and this is, again, just my opinion, a lot of the people that go on the news media and start talking about this stuff publicly have no idea what they're talking about. Right, I think we learned and that I, with MH370 yeah. as well. And and you know, there's certain people who talk. And, and well, the thing is this: aviation. It's um, there's a lot of unknowns to a lot of people who don't work in it every day, and even people that do um, have that passion for aviation. Unless you work in it, there's a lot of stuff that. You'll never know, <laughs> you know, so, so for somebody to show up on TV or people to start throwing out, you know, uh, airplanes that fly themselves or two people in the cockpit, like these are great. These are okay. You know, the, the airplanes that fly themselves, I wouldn't even comment on that, but cause I'm a <laughs> pilot as well, not current, but I, I do have a license and, and it, it just gets me because these people
0: start these knee jerk reactions and they really don't they don't have a clue yeah and And i would would also add that they don't have a clue about the realities of the business if i only talk about civilization it's it's just not people think oh because i have a smartphone that you know can do this and this probably the plane can do it as well without thinking about the economical reality of the airline industry or thinking about even the technological reality you just don't put add a piece of tech in a plane like this you have to go through like very very hard requirements to qualify it in all countries etc yeah. etc Well exactly
2: and that's that's a critical point because after MH370 or since MH370 there have been all these suggestions that oh we need to have real time tracking real time data transmission of of uh, at the very least location of aircraft in real time Well but all, and it's great if you're a, a, an airline that's totally loaded but the the technology adoption rate the long tail of that is Decades! Look how long yeah. it took us to do e-ticketing. For Pete's sake, if you're going to yeah. talk about upgrading a 35-year-old 747-200 to have real-time satellite data transmission for an airline that's barely squeaking by each day, it's just not going to happen. So, suggesting that we can do this on every single airplane in the sky at, at
0: all times is just insane. Yeah, they are. I'm just going to mention they are system. I mean, they are a voting system. I know that uh, the US. Um, Air Force is actually testing currently systems like this on F-16s and probably on f 35 They have a system where they intelligently can avoid obstacles and, of course, the ground. So that's why then suddenly people think we're going to have that on my Airbus and my Boeing. Right. Well, they're going to take some time. And there are also other uh, tests. I know Honeywell and Boeing have both uh, done uh, this um, uh, autopilot that you cannot interrupt. That it was the, the this was fast tracked after nine eleven. It was the idea was okay. If we know that a plane is being hijacked, there's no way for the pilots to not get in command. Again, I I'm not an expert enough to know about these technologies. I know they exist, but to think that any of these technologies or any of these patents could actually apply tomorrow yeah. is complete and, lunacy. And that's that's the that's
2: the critical point here, right? It's yes, these technologies are great. Yes, they would solve these problems in the future, but. You can't just go, well, why don't we just do this? Or surely we should just implement these right now. We should, We should make it illegal to not have them. It's like, it doesn't really, it doesn't work like that. No business works like that.
3: The other thing too, is everybody
2: always looks at technology. Yeah, and you're
3: I, right. and maybe I'm just a little bit old school for being 35, but <laughs> at, at what point do we, at what point do we look at the people and go, Hey, let's, yeah. let's man up here.
2: Yeah. It's, a, uh, no, it's because you,
3: technology Techno- I don't care what you're talking about. Technology will fail. Electrical failures.
2: Yep.
3: Right? Communication failures. I mean, people's internet goes down daily. <laughs> yeah. And you want me to control an airplane from my living room to some guy that's in the middle of the no, and we, the, and so, the, the Pacific between here and Hawaii? Yeah. No, come and,
0: on. And, and also we, we know that in some uh, very rare cases of emergencies, the uh, pilots have to have the possibility of cutting a lot of power to sustain the, the, as little power they can have. I mean, you can have a system that yeah. data, real-time data and autopilot. That's the first thing that has to go if you want to save a plane and you have, I n- just need critical, you know, I mean, anyway, like I agree with you. To go back, to go there actually, uh, to go back to the people, uh, we, we just after the crash, there was a lot of stories about some German wings pilots refusing to fly. This is not what I want to focus on, uh, because uh, the, the, there's a nice story there. It's uh, the, the same route, Barcelona to Dusseldorf. I think it was a day after or two days later, there was uh, the pilot. Uh, I'm going to find his name, Frank Walton, who stood in front of the plane and hugged and greeted each passenger and gave a speech where, which he's, in which he said, I will take you from Dusseldorf to Barcelona. You can rely on the fact that I want to sit this evening with my family at the dinner table. People should see that in the cockpit there, there is also another human being. And I think, it, if it was applauded and everything, but I think yeah, at the end of the brilliant. day, yeah. yes, that's this a, is that's a nice thing to yeah, do. that's great. And we hear, because we hear, of, of course, that, catastrophe but there's so many flights every day and p- pilots are still for like the vast 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 majority great people that just fly you from a to b without even we don't even applaud them anymore when we when we land i remember when i used to do that when i was a kid but come on i mean at the end of the day i agree this is where we should focus on um this and probably also the name of the pilot that tried to get to get back into that german wings uh, yeah. Flight. Last last, last on that piece of news, then we have to move on. Uh, obviously, that opens also the door to possible because we, Alex and, and, and me uh, and I talked last week about the whole new low cost structure of Lufthansa. So German wings, the brand will disappear. It will become Eurowings, but it cannot come at the worst time because the whole new strategy <laughs> obviously happens and there's, there's a crash. And the, the the door, and that's the critical party. Their door is open to a uh, huge liability because yeah, uh, yeah. it's well, really the last thing they need right now uh, is is anything like that. Which you know,
2: there's there's built in liability, financial liability for when an accident happens, and that's mandated by a few of the the global and regional Montreal uh, go- Convention, yeah, governing bodies, and there's fixed amounts there, but that doesn't. Uh, preclude further lawsuits or anything like that. So you know as you say <laughs> such awful timing for Lufthansa in general with all of the industrial action they've had, the pressure they're having uh, from competition from uh, from all sides and then and then this and I think actually the CEO of Lufthansa even said almost that exact thing is this is this is just not what we need right now. This is we thought it was bad and this
0: is just a thousand times worse. Correct. So we'll we'll keep, of course, tracking this story. I mean, we don't want to be too voyeuristic. We're never going to spend another 30 minutes unless something extraordinary happens around it. But of course, we had to mention it. So moving yeah. on to a piece of news we had actually mentioned, I think it was I'm going to say last week. But it was two weeks ago because we skipped a week. I'm just going to do a quote, and then I'm going to let you, Alex, say. Uh, In the light of recent press coverage, the Board of Ryanair Holdings uh, wishes to clarify that it has not considered or approved any transatlantic project, and does not intend to do so. <laughs> ha! What a difference! What I don't, I still, I'm still not 100 percent
2: clear what the heck happened. So two weeks ago, as as Paul mentioned, we said on this the show that the board had announced that they'd approved a project to explore transatlantic flights on Ryanair or a Ryanair company for, you know, extraordinary, and they were, you know, even got into the details of pricing, which we talked about at length, there were going to be like five pound introductory fares and 99 pounds each way. And they have come out in no uncertain terms to say, we are so not doing that, <laughs> but it's not like this was, a rumor or a leak. It was an official statement that came. The board has approved or voted to to explore this, and now they come out saying we're never going to do it.
0: What we don't know where this story came from. It's bizarre. So uh, there was uh, there was the uh, the Irish Independent. So that's a newspaper in Ireland. Obviously, with, uh quotes Michael O'Leary saying that the airline fucked up. Sorry for my French. Here. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, but I, the theory, and maybe you'll agree, my theory is that they did that announcement, and then the stock started to go down, and people shareholders were worried because it's still a big undertaking to say we're going to do low cost flights over the Atlantic, and maybe, maybe uh, they said, okay, you know what? Let's cut our losses. Let's let's continue working that stealthily, but announce publicly that we won't do it because they were telling that we were going to do it in five years. They so don't they don't want to have this kind of a uh, you know, pressure for five years, I'm going to lose a lot of money trying to do that. So maybe right. they will actually just go, let's do that quietly on the side. Let's keep our operations running. People like us the the way we are, especially our share, shareholders. Yeah. And when we're ready, we can have another brand that to do it by itself. That could be a theory, right? Yeah. And it just, it, it makes sense. It makes sense. I think
2: that they'll, they probably will. I would be very surprised if in five years, we're not seeing Ryanair flights across the Atlantic, not necessarily branded as Ryanair, but you know, owned and
0: operated by them. Still weird. Going back to the U.S., uh, Dan, you must have heard about that story, obviously, that they, uh, there's this big fight between the four major U.S. airlines and the three Gulf airlines, Emirates, Jihad, and Qatar Airways. Uh, I'm sure you have heard about this one because everybody talks about that one. yeah uh big one big fight uh just to uh, the latest just a few pieces of news here of course europe uh is siding uh with uh the uh, us airlines so the, the the official from transportation in europe is siding, saying that uh there are significant public subsidies and guarantees that they enjoy and they should be looked uh into uh there are calls in france and germany to do to do a freeze on additional flights, the way Canada does already, for instance. Uh, so to say, un- until this is solved, we're not going to allow more slots in, uh, in our countries. This is no law or regulation, interestingly, these are calls. In the US, interestingly, uh, as we said many times over, the unions are siding with the airlines, which is very rare. Uh, yeah, unbelievable. This- <laughs> it's a, well, I mean, of course, they have a common interest, but it's still pretty pretty rare. They do have a fractious relationship at best. So the one the the irony I found in the last one is that there's a, one of the new unions has just joined this Fair Skies Association is the, the uh, there's a variety of unions of flight attendants, and so the flight attendants also they, they wrote an open letter saying the same thing that you know there is, there should be uh, employees of Gulf Airlines aren't granted fundamental human rights. Make it as whatever. That's, you that's wish quite a that statement. Well, yeah, well, you know, it's it's a lobbying war right now. We're entering the war wars. The, the the funny bit is that <laughs> what I find very peculiar in that whole story about unions is that we know that U.S. airlines are outsourcing as much as they can, especially for maintenance in, in, in countries outside of the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> and also, for instance, another story is that United outsourced its entire gate agent uh, network. Maybe not entire, maybe kept in some airports, but a lot of these gate agents. To uh to uh was outsourced so that the new people that would you find at the gate would only earn half of the current salary. I'm not saying that it's better or worse. But I think it's, I find it ironic that on one side the unions are talking about fair pay, and the other side basically the the other the side they're wading into
2: this so deep, and they're just gonna get. I maintain that they're going to get burned. They're just gonna, this is not a fight they can win. And you know it's funny. I don't know if you've noticed. This is Paul, but every week at at the at the most every week since this debate has kicked off a middle eastern carrier has announced a new us destination yeah ralph yeah <laughs> it's so it's so calculated and brilliant that they're just sort of they're like oh here's another one here's another one cuz we have unlimited money and here's another one and here's another one and look all of our planes are full and look all of our planes are awesome you cannot win this is insane i don't know why they're continuing this yeah, well, why? I do know. Saying. I do know why they're continuing this, because they're terrified. But I think they need to cut their losses and move on and invest
0: in product and not in lawsuits
2: and lobbyists. Yeah, uh,
0: it's interesting that the uh, U.S. Travel Association, which is normally a very diplomatic body, uh, actually came forward against the airlines. And it's uh, I'm going to quote here: "We wish we did not have to stand apart from our friends in the airline industry." on this or any other issue, but with the efforts to reduce competition in the aviation marketplace having become so aggressive and the negative impact of these policies upon consumers so abundantly, abundantly clear, we simply cannot sit idly by. So, wow! Well, yeah.
2: <laughs> but what what I don't think is mentioned enough is that a lot of the U.S. airlines have come out against Delta and United and American, saying, "What are you doing?" JetBlue, FedEx, the head, of, the CEO of FedEx, with absolutely scathing, saying, "You guys are insane. What are you doing? Why are you picking this fight?" It has no legal merit. You're going to lose. You're, you're you're making it worse for the rest of us who are trying to compete on the playing field. And it's the same that we went through at Virgin America, the same airlines kicking up the same fuss using the same channels because they're terrified of competing. And I, if I had a table in front of me, I would flip it right now because it's the same. <laughs> trick. Don't the microphone is on the table. <laughs> it's the, and it's not my house. So it's, it's the same stuff. It's, it, it's, really frustrates me and it's it's taking away the focus from the passenger again yeah
3: but the airline's focus has never been the passenger
2: in this country ha. yeah i i, I would it's say that the, the big the big ones uh the big ones i would i would agree with you so it's it, it's frustrating i i'm I don't know how we've talked about this almost every single episode since this podcast was born and i i don't think it's going
0: to stop anytime soon yeah, talking about uh, corporate management issues, we're going to switch continent for a little bit. We're going to go to India, Alex. It <laughs> was despair, a, this fair, right? It's kind of <laughs> sad in a way, but Air India
2: had a job fair uh, two weeks ago to fill. They've got a lot of, of vacant pilot spots at the moment. Um, they have over 200 in just their Airbus fleet, and they did not have a single applicant not a single person showed up which i think is interesting because it shows the strength of the, the indian economy that that you know you you have a job fair no one shows up that that's you know that's a good sign for your employment rate right but not good for air india who have had problem after problem after problem and these were walk-in interviews for for captain level so these are you know they're looking for experienced pilots who were basically collectively said no we're we're good we're good with where we are um, and you know this is off the back of deregulation in India or partial deregulation in India, where a lot of new airlines have been born, and they're they're happy. So the, the the airlines have to be competitive with salary and benefits, and these new airlines are offering all kinds of of great incentives. And and poor old Air India is really really struggling. And this was sort of the the <laughs> the last kick in the face that they've that they've had after a bunch of Really bad things. It's had so many. It's had government bailouts. It's had yeah. pilots calling in sick. Well, it,
3: it kind of sounds to me like Air India needs to do some self analyzation Yeah, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and figure out what exactly is really going on here.
2: Well, they did. I think it was was it Air India that had a bunch of pilots that were flying with expired pilot uh, with expired expired licenses. Licenses. Uh, there were pilots who were flying drunk. Yeah, 165 uh, pilots flew drunk not for air india in india and india is like what you know over a billion population so but it's still there should should not be one but this was just like you know poor old air india in a nutshell they've had that massive problem with that 787 that's just
0: sat in a hangar that they're parting out to brand new airplane honestly I, i i've flown Air india domestically a few times uh mumbai kashi and other and it's well, it's you know it, it has all the stigma from a flag carrier, you know that well, that, yeah. that has to rejuvenate but doesn't and still like being held by the government on successive bailouts and doesn't really move. It was, I mean, the product was you know 1970s. Now I'm, I'm being a bit harsh here. It was okay-ish, <laughs> but the you could see that the more it was more the attitude of the crew, whether on uh, on the, the airport or in the, the aircraft, that was a little bit like. i don't care i'm good i'm being paid anyway and that was that was the bad one probably like you said the new airlines are their partial their regulation of the market actually is bringing a lot of competition and pilots are maybe not interested in working there india but a second story that happened as well in India that was more fun go ahead this is
2: crazy and it's even crazier that this isn't the first time this has happened anywhere in the world but uh on a jet airways flight in uh, in india 737 And I'm going to read the the Jet Airways official statement because I love the words that they use. Quote, a guest traveling on Jet Airways flight 9W469 to Mumbai opened the emergency door and disembarked, alighting onto the aircraft's wings after the aircraft had come to a standstill at the parking bay at Mumbai airport. (laughs) I just love it. (laughs) Disembarked, alighting onto the wing. It's like, no, the dude was frustrated that it took so long for the gate to be attached or the doors to be open that he... He oh, was so enraged he opened the he opened the emergency exit, which in turn inflated the slide. He then slid down the wing and just strolled out of the airport. That's like the the cherry on top. He wasn't yeah. like tackled by a bunch of security. He's
0: like, um, I'll get my bags later. <laughs> yeah. No, but the worst is that not only that, it's that. So first of all, he had to jump like what, fifteen feet? It's That's, not like you know, it's, yeah, but. He walked and apparently for ten minutes he wasn't sure where he was until he found a handler and he says, Where's the nearest nearest exit? And the handler just showed it and he <laughs> left. And all the while that, you know, did the crew itself on the plane—they didn't react for 35 minutes. So that the ATC and no one knew about that for 35 minutes. I mean, you have somebody opening a door in your an emergency exit in your in your plane, and you're not telling anyone, obviously. Yeah. Well,
2: <laughs> so 3:0 oh, yeah, 3:05 p.m. he le- he jumped off the plane, and 3:16 p.m. he was caught on CCTV leaving the airport. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. And the oh, passengers well. were the ones that told the staff. And this isn't like if it wasn't an A380, you would go okay uh there's 450 people on that airplane you, you're not going to see every everybody all the time it was on a 737 single aisle cabin you can see from the front to the back when somebody opens the door you'd think that the flight crew would wait a minute what's happening here but it was the passengers who said uh is can we are we can we do that too because he's got that's a pretty good idea unbelievable
0: Unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, not something we see every day. Uh, moving on to some innovation uh, news for the week. First, one that I, I wanted to actually say for a few weeks already, but now that Dan is here, I will actually be able to do it. I was just wanted to mention that uh, so there's, a, there's an airport, the name of the airport is very hard. I'm going to try to say it Ornsklovitsk. Uh, well, you see, I failed. It's an airport in like Sweden, like in the middle of nowhere. I'm sorry for the Swedes listening to us. Uh, it had no it has no cont- uh, control tower of its own so what they did they installed a system of remote ATC so there is a whole entire system with which is remote controlled which uh, has AG cameras pan, tilt zoom cameras sensors for both the weather surveillance microphones etc cetera, etc cetera, et cetera, that feeds real-time data back to a remote location and it's so it's not a proof of concept it's something that uh, so it's a Saab, so that's a, that's a Swedish company that has done in a few airports now that are very, you know, barely used, but still in use. So how do we how do we create a, a safer environment? So what do you think? I, not going to happen in SFO tomorrow. But Is what it, do you think about the idea of having a remote ATC system? Well, Go ahead, befo-
3: before I Before I answer, what was the company that you said? The Saab. Saab. Saab.
0: As so an that's aircraft, aircraft okay. manufacturer. I saw
3: yeah. this. Yeah. I actually oh. saw this firsthand wow. when I was out in Washington on business. Wow. Awesome. And, and I think, I don't know what airport it was. I was told it was some airport in Sweden. So yeah. I'm guessing Correct. I saw exactly Correct. what you're talking about now.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
2: Um, do they have scheduled traffic at this airport, or is it I think, no, very, I think
0: very rare? They said that's the point. That's why they don't have yeah. a lot of traffic. Hence, they don't want to have somebody uh, like a whole crew staying there, and that's that's why that this this solution was invented.
3: Yeah, I I think there's like one scheduled flight a day in there mm. or something. Like
0: it's a really low key airport, but you know they got to do this
3: experiment somewhere. Yeah, you know, low key. Um, I I saw the displays. I saw some airplanes flying around. Wow. The. Quality of the cameras was pretty damn good. Really? Yeah, it was pretty trippy. I don't know, you know, I don't know if the cameras were adjustable. I don't know if, if you can move them. You know, I, I don't apart- know a lot. about Apparently, you, you
0: can. Apparently, okay. yeah, according to the website, you can. Yeah.
3: Okay. It it was. I think it's a great idea. I don't know that I'd want to do it though.
2: You as you wouldn't Me want to be controller. the controller.
3: I don't. I mean, I, I'm. You know, and that's just my opinion. I mean, I think that there's a lot to be said for being at the airport because there's certain things that I think have the potential to be lost mm. you know unless you actually start doing 360 degree views and then what are you going to do on your home computer or wherever you're working from you're going to have 360 degrees of cameras around
2: you oculus rift man. yeah exactly are you going to have
3: something <laughs> like that or are you going to have you know one display that's got uh the display or the like the 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 computer monitor like divided up into sections are you going to do it that way mm, I, I don't i don't question i don't know a lot about it but i think there's something to be but, said for actually but, uh, being there at the time yeah
0: I, I would i would add that probably this is a solution really for these uh, remote airports have been uh some i think there's one or two airports now in norway similar stuff like very much remote in the north and australia is also looking at it for some of its very like uh, very remote airports that don't have almost no traffic at all. So I don't think it's something that is meant to ever replace you well, know, that- current customers. <laughs> though, though uh, sorry, before you, you answer, though, uh, they say that it could also sometimes uh, play a role when uh, capacity is exceeded on an airport before you can actually, uh, you know, enter like hire new people, you can just add this technology to, to, to cope with the, the exceed capacity. I don't know. I'm not. You're the ATC guy. I'm not.
3: Yeah. Well, and that, see, that was my question when I saw this, because, I mean, it's cool. I'm not going to deny that. But I think my, my question is, OK, what are we really, really trying to accomplish by doing this? I don't know. I mean, is it just, you know, maybe smaller airports where there's. There's no current yeah, tower like,
2: in place. Yeah. So it's growing. I mean cost reduction, it, it feels like. Yeah. Using technology. But so let me ask you this. And I might have had this whole this this might be a, a local urban legend. But so our our local airport here, uh where Dan and I are, is called is called Livermore, which is a controlled tower. It has mm-hmm. a tower, it's controlled. Am I right in saying that the radar feed that they have is not theirs there's no radar at livermore there's no
3: radar san fran doesn't actually have a radar feed we get
2: ours from oakland see that's really interesting so they're oh, wow they're yeah, doing the that. same thing but in reverse so you're getting the the data quote unquote uh from a third party but there's a human to interpret and act on it on the ground so you've got the situational awareness but data coming from yeah. elsewhere these guys are flipping it around the the data and the eyes are on location, yeah. but the 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 human component is somewhere else.
3: Yeah, originally with San Fran, we pulled our data from Oakland, and then they're actually switching over to a new system which we're working on now at San Fran, and it's currently running, and that actually pulls data from multiple sources.
2: That's really interesting. So, uh, and that's oh. been uh, so Livermore's yeah. Livermore's had a tower for you know certainly since I was a kid, and I can't imagine that that's a new thing. So. You know, practically speaking, it seems to work. It's interesting. I'd be interested to see if anybody else does this and how this experiment goes. We should revisit this.
0: Yeah, it's just it's just interesting to see. And I, I think it is a fair case for maybe airports that would die otherwise, though yeah. I'm not sure that we're going to see that in major airports any anytime soon. But it's interesting. I, I would say that, though, maybe parts of it, like especially in low visibility, you could have already you know the similar system of cameras etc that enhance your current view you say okay what I, why do I do not see because you know there's uh, you know fog or something so right then we're still with a human presence so I mean but it's it's an interesting solution to a problem that maybe not you know Sweden might have in the north because you know like
3: <laughs> yeah I'd be I'd be interested to see where they actually go with it
0: yeah me too you know yeah, me, me too. too yeah correct uh, moving on to, uh, so we mentioned on episode 002, it's a long time ago already, Alex, right? Yeah. Uh, we mentioned that uh, something you absolutely didn't want, which is a smart uh, carry-on. So this carry-on that does a lot of stuff. It has batteries inside. You can relocate it with a GPS with your smartphone, et cetera, et cetera. The point is not to, to revisit that one. It's just to say that that same carry-on called Blue Smart has made now an agreement with Uber. And if your carry-on, if it's not, of course, you've done a carry-on, but it's in the in the hold, if your luggage is lost, then Uber takes over and you don't have to either go back to the airport and grab it. Everything is done and Uber delivers your uh, bag at home. That's
2: irritatingly cool. That's, uh, <laughs> you know.
0: um, yeah, the, the whole
2: smart luggage thing just puts me in a bad mood. But th- this bit is quite cool. But I'm also the guy who's like, Uber, who the hell's going to use that? <laughs> and now I just it, You know, honestly,
3: it. <laughs> it, it, it is amazing to me how creative some of these people are these days.
2: Correct. I, mean, I didn't even hear what about Uber
3: thought. until like mid last year. I was out on a business trip to Washington, D.C. And one of the guys I was with mentioned Uber. And I looked at him and I'm like, what what is that? Some kind of disease or something? <laughs> I mean, I, I had no idea. You know, but it's it's really interesting how creative some of these people yeah,
2: are. Yeah, and it the- – don't get me wrong. As a as a geek, the blue smart stuff is really really cool. I just would never ever ever use it because it's basically like a big sign on on your luggage saying "steal me" because I'm worth something. You know?
0: yeah. Actually, yeah, there was a report by uh, by Cita. Uh We they do a lot of reports these days about luggage. Uh, I'm just mentioning it because it's related to lost luggage. It said that on the over the last seven years, airlines and airports have lost more than 60% fewer bags and saved $18 billion as a result. So it's actually getting mm. go And people still lose their, their suitcases, but way less than they used to. See, and this and is it, where RFID has proved revolutionary. Yeah, the correct type of tagging, but also probably, you know, the expenses they've made behind the scenes the stuff that we don't see. How does our luggage actually route between the airports and everything? There are a few videos around on YouTube. I'll find some. Uh, the uh, Interestingly, they said also that... Um, 69% uh, of airlines would provide passenger with real time updates on the location of their bags by 2017. So it's a very quick there. Wow. Uh, 66% by smartphone. Uh, so that's a lot as well. So uh, they, they will be basically within the next three years. And of course, it will be depending on which airport. And not all airports are born the same. But <laughs> you'll have even without having a blue smart, you'll have some some kind of, of, of knowledge where your luggage is that's pretty, pretty cool. I mean, I almost never lose a luggage because I almost never put any luggage on. Well, yeah,
2: that's, that's the smart way of doing it, right? You, you, uh, (laughs) you, you eliminate that risk completely by never having the, uh, (laughs) the luggage
0: with the airline. Yeah. I mean, that's what I try to do. Not always on long haul, but I've, to be honest, I haven't lost a single piece of luggage in 10 years now. So, and on your next flight, you're going to, Actually, no, it's not true. I've not. Uh, it's one time it was. I've never lost any. Sorry, I was about to say uh, I was delayed. Once it was, I remember was uh, I was going from London to Rio, and I was flying uh, with Air France, Silly me, So I had to do a layover in Paris. The layover was only, if I remember correctly, perhaps forty-five minutes. And I remember the look of the. The, the clerk at uh, when I was checking my luggage is I'll put it, yeah, I'm will put i going to Rio and he looks at me like it's impossible your luggage will never make it
1: mm-hmm. I didn't realize
0: at the time but obviously I landed in Rio and my luggage never made it I'm sure Char de Gaulle was not able to actually you know transfer my my luggage in time anyway oh, so it never happened to me uh continuing on uh, some smart uh, piece of news of innovation the Apple Watch uh we had already a few ones uh, that I've released, a few, sorry, airlines have announced that they will release uh, an app. I mean, they are released, but nobody can use them, basically. So, Right. They will. And as,
2: as we move closer and closer to the release date, which is so frustratingly like five days after I leave California. <laughs> Actually, it's probably a good thing because I probably end up buying one. But more and more airlines have come out saying ours is out, ours is ready. We're excited. Delta, British Airways, Emirates, American have have joined the list as well as Qantas. Um none of them are doing anything particularly revolutionary, but i I'm interested in what American Airlines is doing. They said at any point in the flight you can get real-time location information like how long do we have to go i
0: how I don't I, I have no clue actually I have no clue I, well see that's a honestly right now is a lot of hype i mean you remember i told i told i think it was episode uh 008 when uh, it was the app of the week of the gadget of the week i thought that uh air new zealand allowed you to order coffee from your uh, watch app uh, apple watch app etc so so we'll you must see. be
2: connecting to
0: in, to wi-fi on the plane there's no other way you could be able to do it probably probably yeah. we'll we'll see if it actually works because for the moment these are all promises uh no one has yet reported nope. on this we exactly we, no one's
2: actually seen it
0: we won't be the first because i won't have an apple watch anytime soon are I mean, you gonna get prob- an apple watch dan no no <laughs> <laughs> so none of I, us i like apple to-
3: products but i'm not getting an Apple Watch. i've got other watches
0: <laughs> yeah I mean, same here i'm not i don't want more notifications on my wrist all the time i've yeah. got enough of my <laughs> but i mean it's interesting as a case to see will people actually use it to check in or uh, you know just uh, learn information, the real-time information that you can find on your phone. I will see. But it's interesting that they're going with it. Yeah. Uh, another quickly, uh, few pieces here. First, uh, I mean, you're not in London currently, uh, Alex. Uh, some of you that have heard past episodes know that I am under one of the flight paths of London Heathrow. So I have the planes actually landing on top of my head, not that close to the airport. Don't worry. But uh, so there's a huge debate in the UK uh, about which airport between Gatwick, which is in the south of London, and Heathrow, which is in the west of London, which airport should be expanded with a second for Gatwick and a third one-way for Heathrow. And uh, you're not here, Alex, but honestly, right now in the tube, uh, advertising is all over the place. It's insane. They're battling each other. Like we need, you know, the expansion of the UK economy comes with our third runway. Ether, the other guys are saying, yeah, but ours will not make any noise. And that's the thing. Ether knows that there's a lot of noise coming out from the planes and adding a third runway might actually create a lot of complaints. So they've done something in the center of London. You have a little small pod you can get in. Uh, it's completely isolated, soundproofed, and you can listen to the various, various planes landing over your head to have a true understanding of what the actual sound uh, feels like in different uh, parts of around ethrow. That's pretty interesting. That's it's obviously, it's part of lobbying obviously, but it's pretty interesting. The, uh, there's the, uh, one of the uh, opponents of the third runway ETHRO said that it's a useful tool to show how quieter planes will impact local communities, meaning that, you know, they've been, the planes have technology has made them quiet over time, yeah. more quiet, though uh, they are still very uh, uh, noisy. Uh, Another very quickly one, uh, go back to India. Uh, That's John Bradford who sent me that piece of news. Uh, Lufthansa, to say something nice about Lufthansa because we spent a little time talking about their crash. Uh, They're launching season three of something called Runway to Success. It's interesting to see that how an airline is uh, expanding into different areas of its brand. And here it's actually to help entrepreneurs, local Indian entrepreneurs, uh, to come up with IDs with a lot of mentors and everything. We see that in every in a lot of the countries. It's interesting how an airline would actually combine this. Uh, and it's a TV show at the same time. Uh, and the winner, of course, gets uh, sent, I think, to Europe for uh, a final or something. But what I meant here, what, uh, what I was truly really interested in here is to see how they're pushing the boundaries of finding innovation elsewhere and outside of the company.
2: Good. Nice idea. Uh,
0: yeah, it's a nice idea. For whoever wants to sign up in India, you can sign up until uh, April fifteenth, which is why I wanted to mention it uh, today. Uh, app of the week. Uh, <laughs> are we not cheating? We have we have used that app like so many times in the in the in the show already. Alex, yeah, Google Flights. <laughs> I was
2: I was having lunch with some friends over here a couple of days ago, and they were talking about how expensive it was to go over to. To Europe in the summer, which it, which it is, it's painfully expensive. And so I first told them about the ITA matrix, which we've covered in a in a previous episode, and how powerful it is. But it is it is quite complicated when you start adding all of those switches into the into the search. But you can get from a price perspective, you can get the benefits of the ITA matrix using Google Flights because they're ostensibly using the same database, but with Google's massive power behind it and google flights not it's not i don't care what anybody says it's not just another flight search engine they are calculating and caching the possibilities of every single flight between every single destination so you start typing in i want to go from san francisco to and it's like here are your results and like i haven't told you where i'm going yet it's like "Eh, we have got it figured out we know exactly where you're going and I have I can't, when you type into something into kayak, which I love, by the way, you type, "I want to go from San Francisco to London on these dates. It takes some time to trawl through all of its providers and all of the dates and all of the possible combinations. Google Flights is literally instantaneous. I, it's absolutely staggering. Not only that, it lets you search as does ITA Matrix airports around your departure and destination airport so you can start to look at some of the 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 fares and deals that can be had when you step a step away especially in Europe when you leave the UK and avoid air passenger duty it is an extraordinarily powerful search tool now it comes with the same caveat that ITA matrix does that except for rare exceptions you cannot book on google flights and i think this is less of a technology issue and more of a Legislative issue. Part of the agreement to allow them to acquire ITA Matrix was that they couldn't, for a period of time... Until until October 2016, they have to be careful about how they compete, correct? Right. So they cannot appear above their competitors in search results. They cannot offer direct booking. But it doesn't really matter because what we found with Hitmonk on ITA Matrix and... Uh, and other sites, you can recreate those fares with, with, with quite easily. So I would strongly suggest that if you're looking for a flight in the next few weeks or months that you play with Google Flights, particularly the um, the calendar of, of fares is very, very powerful. Yeah, it's so you very can, well done. Yeah. If you're not looking for specific dates or you're not locked in and you have a little bit of flexibility, the, the deals that you can get are are unbelievable
0: yeah like you said like it's constantly pre-computed so it means that you always have the latest available you can create the usual flight alerts everything we mentioned as well uh i think it was 006 008 we mentioned that uh you can you'll have uh small stuff like it will tell you the usual delay uh oh, this flight is usual is often delayed by 30 minutes for instance it happens a lot at Heathrow, which can be very useful if you have a very short uh, connection. Uh, They will now also add some uh, information as does the flight uh, has Wi-Fi, the average legroom, is there seat power, et cetera, et cetera. Again, we mentioned that uh, uh, uh earlier episode it's a, it's a it's it's not only a great tool itself but it's part of the biggest play that google is doing in trouble now I, I was just reminded of that because i booked a, pl- uh, a flight last night and uh when i was looking up for information for this show i entered flight in a search box of google search and since i'm using gmail immediately the first result which is only for me only i can see it was my roots of my next flight because he wow. just read he just had read my uh, booking confirmation in my email and offered me that, you know, nicely well done way. So it shows that Google is really trying to make the whole experience, not only booking but the entire experience, uh, easy. Of course, I understand a lot of people are afraid of Google because it's a massive competitor and also probably because of some privacy issues. But in terms of convenience, it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's a great. I, I, it's now my go to. I love Kayak. I still get use Kayak
2: if I need to book something quickly, but. For playing around with finding what uh, the fare that I should be aiming for, Google Flights is now my go to engine.
0: Oh, and uh, yeah, and sorry, and I would add as well, I was, so my calendar is also based on Google. And you, what I would usually do is my flights will be automatically added by TripIt because I forward or my booking confirmation to TripIt and then just have a feed and But suddenly, since last week, same thing happened. Actually, Google automatically put my flight as busy and all details in my calendar automatically. Didn't have to do anything. Anyway, it's very interesting. It's very cool. Uh, Some airlines are missing Southwest, uh, Emirates. Some airlines you cannot find even the price on Google Flight that shows just that they haven't made the deal. Yeah, so this is definitely not not a silver bullet, but it's it's progress. So now to the uh, topic of the week. Topic of the week is actually an interview. I mean, an interview. Don't take it too seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So just that you know, guys listening, uh, this uh, next segment will be only part of the full interview that uh, we'll be giving to Dan. Uh, That will be released as a separate episode, special episode that will be running for about 45 minutes. Uh, we will be just releasing a few extracts of the interview here, uh, because you don't want to listen to us for two hours. But before we go on, because I know Alex has a few questions, I just want to ask you three very random and very basic questions. Uh, you answer however you want, Dan.
3: Okay. And we, First, should pre-
2: we should preface this by saying that Dan's here to give his opinion. And yeah, nothing this, if is, it- this is solely Correct.
0: my opinion. Yeah, but the first one always, no, these are not dangerous ones. So how do you, first is very simple. How do you fly? If you take a fly, do you have any quirks, anything special that you do that makes you stand out or not when you fly uh, commercially? <laughs> no, not do really. You ever, do you ever fly commercially or do you fly No, your I, own I, plane? I do.
3: We don't, I don't get any special privileges or any benefits or anything like that for working for the FAA. Oh, that's interesting. The, the FAA considers that a conflict of interest. Sure. So the only thing that I can do is get through security at San Fran because so I worked there bag. and I got my ID.
2: Do you have a favorite airline or, or, or an airline you, you hate. Are we the talking least?
3: about flying or working? Yeah. Well, <laughs> like when, when you're, when you're, bo- oh, oh,
2: yeah. that's a good question. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs>
3: actually, yeah.
2: When you're booking your, when you're booked, you know, be it for recreation <laughs> when you go out to Hawaii or whatever, you know, do you look to, to are you loyal to a particular airline or I, is it just.
3: I'm, I'm, you know, I grew up flying United. Um, i and due to the fact that United has such a large presence at SFO, oh, I mean, you know, everyone needs to keep in mind San Fran or at San Fran, United basically owns half the airport.
2: Mm.
3: And if it's going to Vegas, sometimes I'll hop on Virgin America because, I mean, they're cool. Because they're great. On. Yeah, they're just fine. <laughs> you know, and, and at the end of the day, I, it doesn't really bother me who I take it. It's all about who's got the most reasonable price. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah, We often we often say that. It's no matter a yeah. lot of the innovation and blah, blah, blah. At the yeah. end of the day, people are still price sensitive, right? So yeah. maybe uh, do you have any great memory of a of flight that stands out in your memory? Something either as a kid or later on that really was a different from others? It could be a positive story as a negative one. Do you have anyone that's uh, any story that stands you out? You know, <laughs> I, oddly enough, I don't. I, I mean, wow. I've, I've, you I've, wanna well, do I've
3: just been. I've been you know i'll talk to alex and alex will get all giddy and excited <laughs> about certain things but it's different when at least for me it's different because i i work in the industry so the things that you guys are fascinated by and the things that like everything we were talking about earlier with google flights and everything i haven't even seen google flights right i love flying um i love aviation it's a love-hate relationship with aviation <laughs> though you know because it, it's a it's a tough industry <laughs> kind of like everything we've talked about today so far it's You know, there's so many people that go on the media and they talk about things and they don't know what they're talking about, and then everybody wants to do everything fully automated, and people just don't. It's so complex. Mm. So maybe,
0: maybe that that, that you give you give me like a a good shoe in for the third part. If there was one single thing you would change, whether it's industry in the plane, whatever. If there's one thing you could really. And let's pretend you had the power to change it. What would it be? Would you just have less, uh, less people with bad opinions on TV, or is there <laughs> actually something for I, the I think, industry? Uh,
3: honestly, in in light of everything that's happened between Malaysian and uh, the German Wings thing, and even Air France, mm. um, all the when you start talking about accidents. The number one thing I would change is who actually gets in front of the TV camera and talks to the public because the public doesn't know. And all they do is trust the people who talk on TV and half the people that talk on TV are idiots. Half. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, no, there are educated people out there. I mean, you've got people that used to be the head of the NTSB investigation team. I mean, there are some highly qualified people out there, but then there are people who get in that say that they are the, their chief aviation correspondent or aviation expert, and they don't even use the right phraseology when mm, they talk on, in front of, you know, and the public doesn't know, you know, and I'm sitting there like when, uh, I know we're gonna talk about this in a little bit, when the Asiana incident happened at San Francisco. Mm. There's people that are getting on the news and they're not even using the correct phraseology, which I know to some people, it doesn't make a difference in the big picture, but from somebody who works in the industry, I'm sitting here and I'm going bald, pulling my hair out. Right, you know what I mean? Because it's like you guys think you know, you know, you're you're telling the general public everything, and and the general public doesn't know what it takes to fly an airplane. They don't know how airplanes fly. It's all magic.
0: To a Is large it not magic, I it's magic.
3: Because <laughs> sometimes I'm surprised by the stuff I see. But you know,
0: <laughs> do you do you still think uh, you said magic? Do you still think that people consider the airline industry as something magical? Because that's a lot. It seems to be lost a little bit. I I. I the, the the aviation industry is a tough business,
3: but I think they're taking a real hit. You, everybody needs to keep in mind: aviation used to be a way that the wealthy would travel. Yeah, it was luxury. Yeah, I absolutely right? agree. It was yeah. luxury. Yeah, and now it's another form of mass transit. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I'm not saying that that's bad.
2: No, it's it's you kind know of democratized.
3: But I I have been told by certain um. By certain people that I've met in the airline industry over time, that there are certain airlines that could care less about the people. The airlines make their money off cargo, Mm. and if they could take out rows of seats and put boxes in, they would.
2: Yeah, you know, which is so depressing. Yeah, (laughs) you know, I think Paul and I would agree that you know, you look at the the industry that we're in, which you know we loosely refer to as the technology industry, and you do get frustrated and upset with it. And people look at look at things like, in my case, Uber. Which I I do think is great. Be like, come on, this is ridiculous, but other people are looking at it going, "Wow, this is utterly yeah. amazing." You, you know, you you do get burnt out with it, so I can I can understand yeah. that. Walk us through a day. Like, what is a what does a normal day look like? What are the hours? What what is? Um, to put it into perspective,
3: what Las Vegas does with five thousand acres, San Fran does with five hundred. Wow, and and that's that's a general. I I'm not sure what the exact size of the of the Las Vegas airport is. But at at San Fran, we're doing we, we run a lot of traffic out of a very tight area.
2: How many movements a day?
3: I think right now we're averaging about twelve or thirteen hundred a day. That's extraordinary. Each
2: aircraft is considered a movement. And if you're not familiar with San Francisco Airport, it has crossing two two sets of crossing runways. Yeah. So which always, and you know, as much as I've grilled Dan about it in the tenure of our relationship. <laughs> Still blows my mind that there is a plane landing on one runway and one taking off, yeah. about to take off, on one that that, that intersects. The runway
3: center lines are less than 1,500 feet apart. I was told that if you run, if we're landing on two runways that are parallel, if we're landing two 747 side by side, there's less than 500 feet from wingtip to wingtip. Wow. You know? oh, and it's cool. really
2: yeah. cool to be able to look out of the window, or cool slash I mean, terrifying, to look out the window of the plane that you're flying on to see a plane landing right next yeah. to you. If you
3: look close enough, you can see the heads. of Other people the other going up with the same <laughs> expression on their face. You
2: know, I can't imagine it's a very easy airport to fly into because not only do you have the complexity of the airport itself, but within, what, 20 miles as the crow flies, you have two other major airports yeah. in, in Oakland and in San Jose who are also very busy. Hour, all day yeah. so i it must be a complicated airspace how the san francisco tower mm-hmm. what's its jurisdiction i suppose where do you pick up an airplane basically we
3: have the surface to two thousand feet and we have a seven mile radius within the airport
2: so let's say my flight that came in last tuesday mm-hmm. uh from london uh how would i have come from the top of my descent to land at san francisco and get to the gate Basically, depending on where you are and what
3: altitude you're at, that's going to define who you're talking
2: to. So NorCal approach will take all the traffic that's converging on the Bay Area and sort it out and then hand it over to... It
3: starts the sorting process with Oakland Center. By the time you're talking to me, you're probably no more than a 12-mile final.
2: So for those of you that have flown into San Francisco, which I'm sure many of you have, especially from, from Europe... Usually what you'll do is you'll come in from the north because you're coming from northern Canada, Hudson Bay, and you'll fly down. You'll overfly the airport mm-hmm. and then you'll, you'll do the U-turn over the San Mateo Bridge. Who is giving the instruction to turn? That's NorCal. That's, and then as soon as you, you're, you're lined yeah. up on the runway, then... Basically,
3: once you're established on the approach, they'll frequency change you over to us.
2: You touch down mm-hmm. and then...
3: As you're exiting the runway, depending on what runway you land on... For, for the sake of this conversation and today's discussion, if you're an airline, if you're an air carrier, you're going to turn left, you're going to contact ground. And then ground will taxi you into wherever you go to park. At San Fran, depending on the type of traffic that we're running and how busy it is, you're either going to have one ground, which is one guy controlling all the ground traffic for San Fran, or we split it. And then half of the airport gets divided to one ground controller, and then they open up a second position. And that uh, ground controller works the other half, and they literally just cut the airport down to center.
2: And how much of it is looking at a screen versus Very looking little. out the window?
3: Very little. It, it, You know, when I meet people, they automatically say, oh, you're the guy in the dark room staring at the radar. No, I'm not. <laughs> there, are other, there, there are other people that do that. That's the approach in the en route facilities. And in our situation, that's NorCal approach. I'm in a tower, I'm overlooking the airport, I could see the sun, I could see basically everything. But that's that's how you do your degrees.
2: job, is looking out the window yeah. and not at a screen.
3: Yeah, we, we do have we have a ground surveillance radar, which will show all the aircraft moving on the ground. And then we have a uh, a regular radar, which shows all the aircraft that are, that are in the air. So from a tower standpoint, you're looking down a little bit, but you're looking outside most of the time.
2: That's really interesting. I assumed it was the other way around.
3: Yeah, it's, it's really not. <laughs> That's great, though. That's nice. Yeah. It,
2: there's, there's something quite romantic about that. Yeah. How did you get to where
3: you are? So my best friend, who runs the fuel company at the San Carlos airport, he looks at me and he goes, well, what better guy to sit in a tower drink coffee and tell people what to do? <laughs>
1: <laughs> this, is, this is honest to God, what he said
3: to me. So when I got to San Fran, the quantity of aircraft didn't intimidate me, but... The rules that you had to use, because depending on what you're doing, there's a certain. So everything we do in air traffic, there's a rule. So if I'm doing one thing, I'm using this type of separation. If I'm doing another thing, it's this type of separation. And in reference to the A380, there's certain things that we can and cannot do with the A380 because of the sheer size of the airplane. Wow. So depending on where the A380 is, we can we can use certain
2: runways. We cannot use oh, others. Oh, so it's not just getting the A380 from point A to B. It's getting everything. around around the A3.
3: Wow. Yeah. yeah. San Fran also, I mean, you know, busy airport and I'm sure Heathrow has the same thing. There's always closures. They're always closing taxiways. Once in a while they're closing a runway because they got to paint, they got to do rubber removal on the runways. I mean, it's, it's, it's the variables, you know, and it's being able to process those variables and work around it instantaneously.
2: And of course the weather. And and the weather at San
3: Francisco is always a problem.
2: So you were, you were working when the AG on a 777 crashed, is that right?
3: I got to work right after uh, – basically, I was called in right after it crashed. Oh. So I didn't I, I didn't actually see it happen. But you I had was, to
2: deal with the aftermath.
3: Yeah, we had to I, – I went in and as I jokingly say, because I have a morbid sense of humor, I was the one who had to go in and clean up the
1: mess.
2: Right. <laughs> but it was – so if you're not familiar with what happened – Asiana triple seven basically came in short of the runway, and and sadly two people died as a result. But, um, it closed the airport for how long? I think
3: it was about four or five hours. We
2: were actually shut down. So what do you what did you have to? I mean, if you're allowed to talk about it, mm-hmm. what did you have? What did you do? Well, like you had planes coming from all over the world, intending to go to San Francisco. What what happens? What do you what did you that? From a,
3: from our standpoint, there's not a whole lot that we did. We were doing some coordination with other facilities and we were coordinating with some emergency efforts, you know, people, you know, news media and stuff that wanted to come into the airspace. We weren't letting them in. Mm. So we still had some work to do. It wasn't just sitting there with coffee cups, not doing anything.
2: But then I suppose you have to, once the airport reopened, you had a backlog of flights to get in the air.
3: Yeah. We had airplanes to get out. We had airplanes to land. And from what I remember, we were, I mean, it's been a while now. Um, from what I remember, we were landing and departing on one runway or two runways. Goodness. As know? opposed to four. As opposed to four. And, and I got to tell you, just on a quick side note, I had a chance to go down and walk around that accident scene on Sunday. If anybody ever had a doubt about a Boeing product, I wish I could have walked them around that scene. Because the stuff that that airplane stood I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, you got to keep in mind, the airplane basically cartwheeled. So that that sheet metal was bent, buckled, torn, ripped. Mm. But at the end of the day, both the wings were still attached, and the only reason the tail came off was because the airplane hit the seawall. Right. Wow. That, that airplane a- withstood so much damage and it was still in one piece.
2: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah,
3: it it was, you know, it was an unfortunate situation and and nobody wants to go through something like that. of course. And with my background and everything else that I've seen, you know, some people were pretty pretty shaken up by it. I'm just one of those people that I I really don't uh, get emotional about what I do. I think over time, because there were years that I was averaging one funeral a year with somebody I knew that uh, crashed in aviation. Mm. Yeah, I think to a point you kind of internalize it, right?
2: I so guess you have to separate it. You have more. to,
3: and and that's that's part of what we do. You know, other people it affects differently. Everybody handles it differently, you know. And there were some people that were out on uh, some what what we call trauma leave after Asiana
0: and rightfully so. Right, I fully understand because uh, my, fa- it's still a different, uh, different my father is totally different different background. But my father was a surgeon. Mm-hmm. He always told me oh, uh, wow. that when he, was, when he was doing a surgery, he was not looking at a person at that moment. He was looking at a body because if yeah. he started to be too emotional <laughs> that he would actually make a mistake. I he completely agree.
3: A- when I'm talking to the pilots, I don't look at it like, oh, I've got 200 people with, whose lives are in my hands. And, it, and it's,
0: yeah, I do,
3: but I don't look at it that way. No, it's to me, it's just, to me it's just a job, you know? And, and the same thing like you were saying about your father. You know, I, I mean, the job is the job.
0: Just so, just one question out of curiosity: uh-huh. How do you re- how do you remove a plane that crashed from a runway? That's a very good question. They had to uh, they had to drain they had to drain all the fuel
3: from the wings and the fuselage tank. But I think the fuselage tank was almost empty, mm. so they ended up taking off the wings, and then they actually. Had a bunch of cranes and they hoisted the fuselage up onto a flatbed and removed it that way. Wow. And then they brought it to a far end of the airport. And Where it they, sat uh,
2: for a long time. It
3: sat for a long time because the wrecking company, I think, took a while to come in and get it out of there.
2: It was a pretty strange sight to see. For certainly, when I came that summer, you could see from uh, from the basically when you landed, you would go past this yeah. this wrecked fuselage with some of the some of the titles
0: sprayed out um uh may, may, may i may interject one question sure. uh but do you have to deal a lot with uh language issues uh with people the, maybe that this <clears> the, the, the yes. not good enough english
3: yeah in in aviation <clears throat> english is the universal language that doesn't mean they speak it well
2: <laughs> that must present some challenges
3: that that has got a lot of challenges and, and you got to keep in mind there are certain things that um we call them mandatory readbacks. Alex, you know, as a pilot, there's certain, or you should know as a pilot, and if not, <laughs> you and I are gonna take a walk after this. But there's certain things that air traffic control has to get readbacks on, like runway hold short instructions, altitude restrictions, stuff like that. Certain things the pilot has to read back. I mean, we get all sorts of air carriers that come in. You know, we're in a airport. Mm. Yeah, that's why what, that's what I'm asking yeah. you
0: because you have a very good coverage. Yeah. Sure,
3: yeah, and, and some, some um, airlines are very difficult to understand. Some pilots, you could tell that that fly for foreign carriers, they have done a tremendous job to take the efforts to make themselves very clear on the radio, which is which we appreciate, you know, because you got to keep in mind, it's all I mean, you're trusting a voice, just like you guys are talking to me. I mean, you know, when this when this gets aired, all people are going to know is my voice. Right. They're never going to know who I am. <laughs> right. You know, so it's 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 like my father put it. It's that blind trust. You're trusting the voice. And if anybody ever listens to LiveATC.net, which I'm not plugging by any means, but, that's a great, that's it, but, a great but everybody seems to listen to it. Yeah. If you ever listen to San Fran and you hear a controller, when they frequency change somebody, they say, have fun.
2: That's me.
1: Oh, so there you go. That's <laughs> you a go. great little tip. <laughs> if you ever hear
3: anybody say, hey, have fun, that's usually me talking.
2: Nice. So I'll have to listen for yeah. that. Um, I'm curious if you have, a, a, as a controller, mm-hmm. a favorite plane that's just you know this is going to be great because it's this type of airplane that performs well it's off the runway quickly the wake turbulent for whatever reason you might have from a, from a controller
3: standpoint um and what we do at san fran almost any boeing product we love why they move fast the 737 and this all gets into aircraft performance the 737 900 which is the big 73 they roll like a pig they're slow mm. to get moving because you got to keep in mind like Alex mentioned mentioned earlier we land two runways and in between the arrivals we're
2: departing. Ah, uh, so that t- so we're shooting, we're essentially shooting the gap, That right? speed is important to you. So,
3: when we say clear for takeoff, you know, a lot of times we're pushing these guys along and we we have the we have the phraseology to get them to move faster. And sometimes like the 737-900s they don't roll fast, but once they get airborne they're fast in the upwind. 75s mm. are awesome airplanes. I the seven five is an awesome airplane because they roll quick, and there's a lot of guys that do the overseas routes. I mean, we've seen seven fours move fast, fully loaded to Heathrow, if the pilot knows the flick and he's got the show, which three quarters of the seven forty seven pilots out of San Fran they do,
0: they can move. Wow. <laughs> Would you? Uh, besides, besides the fact that it's a it's a personal choice. Uh-huh. Would there be any other airports in the U.S. that you would really love to experience as an air traffic controller? You know,
3: I don't know. That's a good question. I haven't, I haven't given it a whole lot of thought, only because um, I've got, I've got a lot of time left before I can retire. You know, I wouldn't mind Phoenix, maybe down in Arizona. Ah, but, perfect. Um, yeah. But see, my intentions are different because I like golf <laughs> and and I like warm weather. So for me, and my father lives down there as well. So
0: for me, but I, I don't know, as far as other airports, I'm kind of. Does it, does it happen often that you said the bad route is being taken by an aircraft? All the time. <laughs> oh my God. No, oh yeah, yeah. I know. Every, yeah, exactly. It, it <laughs> never,
3: it never fails. Because your
2: instructions um, yeah. could be perfect and that's that's not that's only half of the part, right? The, the how instructions, instructions the are instructions
3: executed. you give the pilots could be perfect, their read back to you could be perfect.
2: But what they do is But what
3: they do could be totally different. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I told them to hold short of only one left. I hope it does. You know, if you're if you're on the ground navigating San Fran, I mean it's tough. Yeah. You know, if you start looking at airport diagrams for O'Hare, JFK I haven't seen um, Heathrow, but I know it's huge. Goodness. Stuck mics. We get that all the time. Stuck mic, Stuck mics. Um, in, a, in the cockpit, you know this push-to-talk switch. Sometimes they'll stick, and the aircraft will keep transmitting on the frequency, and the pilots won't know it.
2: Oh, no. Oh, embarrassing. So
3: if I've got 10 aircraft, oh, yeah, it's even embarrassing when they say stuff that they shouldn't be saying. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, it's controlled chaos. You show up to work every day, and you think, "Well, what's going to happen today?"
2: Wow, <laughs>
0: you know, it's fun stuff, though. Wow, well, Dan, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, am like a kid listening to you. Yeah. <laughs> you told me I'm sure that I, I'm sure there's some kind of video game when you can do that. I should try to. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, there's actually.
3: Uh, we were joking about it earlier. There's apps,
0: but you can, you know, go and
3: control airplanes on your on your iPhone or your your Android or whatever you have how and,
2: funny is that and
3: people talk about how great they are because I've heard people I've met over time you just in casual conversation oh well I've got this game mastered and I go oh yeah 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 come on <laughs> let's see what you really
0: got Whoa. So. yeah oh well thank you so much uh, thank you you mentioned you mentioned that one of the airports that you would consider going uh, to work for would be a Phoenix, Sky Harbor, yes. and that's actually the airport of the week. That's why we decided nice. to, uh, to name the airport of the week. Uh, is it an airport you've both flown to? Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. yes. Dan, you,
2: uh, Alex? Yes, and I haven't. In fact, I'm going there next week.
0: It's, ah, it's... it's For me, it's one of these... I mean, we'll go over the airport, but it's a brutalist airport. It is. So it's like this piece of concrete. It's like a big squares, terminals for terminals. I mean, there's no terminal one anymore, but there's two, three, and four. There's really... It's not the most prettiest airport to look at, but it's pretty efficient, right? It's huge. It's a big airport. Oh, yeah.
2: I, uh, Alex? Yeah. I <laughs> I love the reason why there's no Terminal 1. There's like, there's Terminal 2, 3, and 4, but no Terminal 1 because they tore it down to build a car park.
3: <laughs> oh, did they really? Yeah. Wow,
0: <laughs> and um and they, <laughs> and they didn't want to renumber which is fair enough by the way when you think about it, they didn't want to renumber the airports but um they <laughs> actually the ter- i i i've only i've never flown to terminal four which is by far the biggest one yeah has 80 percent to- terminal four has 80 percent of the traffic hmm. so i've flown to terminal uh two once and terminal three because i'm a delta guy when i'm in the u.s or a delta i think maybe to this day there are two still at terminal two uh tr- three sorry but terminal three two i remember it's so bizarre because there's gates 1 to 13 and then suddenly there's c and d so there's no gate a b there's no why wouldn't no just go 14 and 15 <laughs> just you know, the other kind of stuff is really funny but it's it's not the prettiest report but i mean go on sorry Alex, no I'm no sure. I think
2: I, it has so many quirks to it and you just kind of picked up on too so it was it was even its history is like Quirky. It was started in 1928 by a startup airline called Scenic Airways, which then c- went bankrupt less than a year later. Oh, so they boy. built themselves this airport and then weren't able to use it. And then a company that was actually called Acme, which I thought was just the, the exclusive <laughs> domain of Wiley e. Coyote, mm-hmm. it was actually called Acme. Bought it, um, and then it kind of developed. And um, Barry Goldwater, who was this, it was a businessman, and a, like a five-term senator for Arizona. Hmm. Invested a lot of it, and they were going to rename it the Barry Goldwater Airport. But the local, the uh, Phoenicians wanted it to to always stay Sky Harbor, which actually is kind of a cool name. Um, it is the largest airport in the world to have all three of its
0: runways parallel. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, there's no like San Fran, which, which we were talking about. The three runways are just parallel to each other, which I, pretty must be easier.
2: Yeah, which I thought was kind of interesting. There's only one international flight. Out either you know outside of North America and one seven forty seven operator, both of those are the BA flight to London. Hmm. Um, but it's still, still forty-two million
0: passengers, a year. which is I
2: an unbelievable amount, considering it's that it's only coming from from within North America. But but the airport. Well,
0: that well that Dan said it right. It's if you want good weather, dry because Florida is also good weather, but it's humid. If you want good, dry weather and golf, you go to Arizona. Exactly right. <laughs> but it's, what's interesting is that the airport uh,
2: community, business community, is really pushing hard to get international carriers to come to phoenix to the point where they're offering up uh up to a million dollars in marketing incentives and landing fee waivers to get international airlines to come to phoenix wow yeah wow. which is pretty pretty uh, pretty amazing but uh, you know i'm going there uh next week and i but i i think i want to end this section on a quote that is uh <laughs> that kind of sums up sky harbor and it's sky harbor more proof that it's possible to build a huge airport whilst making it absolutely sure that it stays as bland as possible. (laughs) Quote, Paul Papadimitriou.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, well, yeah, I'm totally assuming that one. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, exactly. And it's It's only funny because you're right. Yeah, but it's I mean, it's an efficient airport. Uh, no, a, it's it, not the most, but at the end of the day, the destination matters. When I was there, it was also for to go to a resort and to have you know the good weather, yeah, dry weather, and the golfing. So not, at the end of the day, it just next works episode,
2: out. I'll report back uh, with my recent Phoenix airport experience.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a train now. Let me know that they opened that finally. There's a supposedly a new train that you can go from terminal to terminal. The reason I'm I'm, I'm saying that because you will love this. Apparently. It's the uh, it's the first airport in the world which the train is so high that planes can actually uh, go go underneath the tracks of the train. Oh wow! I'd, I'm I've read that. I haven't seen it because I haven't flown there like in two years. Well, I so will let you please know. Take a look. Yes, please take a look. I will, guys. On this, thank you so much, Dan, for your time. Thank it was you, really guys. Awesome. No, thanks we, a lot. Dan. Really, really fascinating. It. Yes, and uh, you'll, be, uh, you'll be invited again. Yeah, if you have any questions for Dan awesome. for a follow up episode, Twitter, Facebook, you know where to find yeah, us. Sure. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. And on that, guys, uh, Alex, Dan, cheers. I'll see you next week. Take care, Paul. See see cheers. Bye bye. Cheers.
1: On behalf of Leovers and the entire crew, we'd like to thank you for joining us on this podcast, and we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Fly attendants, please prepare for landing.